Well, I get to speak to you about uh, the Everlasting Father this morning, and so we're going to go back to Isaiah 9, our passage that has been kind of the anchor for this series here. And so why don't we go ahead and put Isaiah 9 up. And it should be uh, uh, verses uh, 1 through 7, I believe. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. And in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And everybody said, Can I have the rest of your water, Lori? Thank you, sweetheart. Wonderful woman she is. Now, the context of this passage dates 700 years before Jesus was born. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking here. And as he's bringing this prophecy to people um, and speaking of a Messiah, uh, it's good for us to remember what they would have thought about in those days as an everlasting father. It would speak of a, of a perfect ruler. It would speak of a perfect king who relates to his people as beloved children. That's, that would have been the way that rulers and kings would have uh, been seen, at least hoped to have been seen in those days, those that really cared about uh, the people uh, that were in their charge, a protector and a provider, and a, an everlasting uh, father. And, um, and so he's using that kind of prophetic uh, vocabulary in the days that he lived with as much light as he had about what was coming, and he didn't have much. He just had what God was giving him at that moment. And that'd be a good thing to remember anytime you're reading the prophets, is that 
God put words in their mouths, but they often didn't know how all this was going to pan out. They just said what they were supposed to say. Now, from a New Testament perspective, perspective we think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, don't we? And, and so the Trinity and, and all that's involved in, in uh, understanding that, uh, one God, three persons, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Father, the Spirit's not the Son, or the like that. Now, we could spend a lot of time, because uh, it's a fascinating study, uh, regarding the Trinity, but we won't do that here this morning, because we just it's not my purpose to, to do that. But we can look at passages like, uh, for, in, for instance, uh, I, think, I think I had... Uh, one up there from John 14, 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And there's other passages as well uh, from uh, John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. And so we can put together... Uh, not only those two, but several other ones, to help us understand that sometimes the roles are conflated, particularly in Jesus' ministry as he is revealing the Father and yet saying things like, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And that helps us to understand Isaiah's uh, prophecy where he is uh, telling us that uh, anybody, uh, pardon me, that, that he's telling us that all these uh, particular aspects of who the Messiah is going to be, that one of them is going to be the everlasting Father. If you end up with any questions about any of that, understand, you know where I always defer? I always defer to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, somewhere toward the end where he says, we see through a glass darkly. We don't understand always perfectly everything that... Uh, that the scriptures are unfolding. There's a lot to understand, certainly, but we have to get um, comfortable, I think, with categories in our life where we, we cannot connect all of the doubts. Somebody say amen and make me feel better, okay? Because don't, don't run into walls uh, in the scriptures and just get stuck there. But uh, I always tell people, um, keep reading till you do understand something because there's plenty to understand in the scriptures. But we'll talk about Jesus in the context of the everlasting Father here today. And so the first, um, the first uh, uh, aspect, I guess, of uh, the everlasting Father, I have termed the forever Father. And I want to tell you a story in that context about my dad. And I'm going to tell you that story because we've all had one, whether, you know, we remember him or not, or whether he was good, bad, or indifferent. Everybody's had a dad. Dads are important uh, in our lives for the good or sometimes for the not-so-good, where God takes the not-so-good and makes it good again. Amen? I'm about four years old, and I had come back from Mass with my mom and dad and my brother, uh, Pat. And uh, 
My mother was cooking bacon in the kitchen. I can, you know, I won't talk too much about that or you guys will be running out of here, but anybody else like bacon? I just love bacon. It's so bad for us, but it tastes so good. Um, and my dad, uh, in a very unusual way, says, said, uh, come on, boys. And, and we sat on the couch, and he had a Bible that was given to him from a, a doctor uh, over at White Memorial Hospital when he was in there for some, some uh, pretty serious stuff a few years before that. And he says, uh, I want to I wanna tell you a story. And he started telling us the story of Adam and Eve. I'm four years old, and my brother's three. I am transfixed. I am absolutely taken in. And seeds were planted in my life, and I got hungry for more of that, except more didn't come. I don't know what got into him that morning, but there was never another moment like that. Now, my parents had a very unfortunate marriage, and they divorced, and, and uh, there was alcoholism involved, and infidelity, and then uh, he got cancer, and he died at age 56. But I think he finished well, because I got to walk out some of those years with him, and so I knew some stories that nobody else knew about him and some things that were taking place in his life, and I fully expect to see him at the end of my life, and that'll be a, that'll be a happy reunion, you know, happier than, than any that, uh, that we've ever had. But the best gift I think my dad gave me, and it wasn't that he never gave me any gifts, but the best gift uh, I think that he gave me was was the 10 or 15 minutes on the couch there because it was just the hors d'oeuvre that I needed at four years old. Just what I needed to begin to open up uh, something inside of me that wasn't open yet. I was just, you know, I had to go to mass with them every week. Jeez, you know, just four years. You know, there's no Sunday school at Catholic Church, in case you didn't. You just had to gut it out when you're four years old. And, uh, and I, I came to understand the Mass, and still, and now I do, and it's, uh, if you do understand what's going on, it can be a very beautiful thing, but at four years old, no. Two things I got out uh, of all of that at the end of the day. The first thing was, when he died, I felt like an orphan. Even though we didn't have a great relationship, I felt like an orphan. I went the day that I went up to Resurrection Cemetery to set everything up. I was the one that was sort of in charge of all of that and for the funeral. And I went over to Chris and Pitts in Monterey Park, and I went to Chris and Pitts' barbecue place because that was his favorite place to eat uh, after the divorce. That's where he ate almost every night of the week at a Chris and Pitts. And I ordered what I knew he ordered and uh, even had an alcoholic beverage uh, with that. And I was a pastor at that time, and I gotta tell you, that was a gutsy thing to do. <laughs> but I did it not because I wanted to 
get drunk. I did it because I was trying to figure out a way to deal with my grief. And I, and I wasn't doing so well, actually, with any of it. The second thing about it was I sensed the Lord remind me of a scripture that David wrote in Psalms 27:10. If that's up there, we can Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And that might be for somebody here who's had a tough time with their parents, who've had, who have not really great memories, who maybe uh, have had some very horrible, horrible things that took place in the context of parenthood. Rejection, maybe even. Like David, I think he was rejected by his parents. And he says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And the Lord reminded me of that in the middle of my meal that day. And then he reminded me of another scripture. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And it was underscoring a very important thing at that point. And that was that um, though my dad was gone, and, and I really... You know, I was, in, I was in this grief zone here. Though my dad was gone, I had this other father. <laughs> I always knew he was there, but I just, it, I guess I didn't really need him in that kind of a context until that moment. But we all need to be fathered, don't we? And we need to be fathered whether our fathers are here or not. And there is a father who will never leave us and never forsake us. And there is a father who says, I don't care what kind of relationship you had with your parents. I'm here, and I receive you. I love you. I'll be your father. I'm not going anywhere. Amen? It's a good, it's a wonderful gift to think about at Christmas time. And, and Jesus sort of mirrored a lot of that in his ministry to people. There was a fatherliness about him, though he was still quite young when he left this earth. He reached out to people with great compassion, and I guess that's point number two, is that not only do we have a forever father, we have a compassionate father. A compassionate father. And I would uh, point you to Psalm 103, 13 where it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so if we remember, just from a few minutes ago, where Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you can begin to read the Gospels in a whole other different way. Because now we can watch Jesus, and everything he's doing, we can remember You've seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Let me take you down memory lane just a, a little bit. How about at the well with the Samaritan woman where nobody else wanted to come and draw water with her because she had five husbands and the one that she was with then wasn't, she was just, she was just hanging out with this dude. 
And Jesus knew this and told her all about it. And she was just amazed. But he had great compassion on this woman who was living a life that she didn't know how to live any other way. Or at the pool of Bethesda when the poor guy that was lame couldn't get down to the water because no one would come and help him. And Jesus came and he had compassion on that guy. He said, we don't need, we don't need any water. Get up and walk. And he walked away in the compassion of the everlasting Father. And how about uh, the woman caught in adultery? That was a pretty dramatic moment, huh? Everybody ready to kill her right there and all the shame and all the guilt. Man, guilt and shame will eat you for breakfast every morning of, uh, of your life if you let it. Amen? It just will. Just ugly stuff you did, ugly stuff you said, stuff you don't seem to be able to undo because you live on the earth among human beings and human beings don't let go of things as easily as we wish they would. But here's this woman caught in adultery and everybody's against her and everybody, you know, is judging her and wants to to throw stones at her and, and kill her, and Jesus just sort of intervenes and has compassion on her and takes care of that situation and runs those guys off and says, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? He says, they're gone. He says, okay, get up and don't do that anymore. There's something about Jesus telling you, don't do that anymore. You're okay. Okay. His Spirit lives with us now, and we've all had that particular uh, moment with the Lord, haven't we? More than one moment for most of us, certainly, certainly me, where he says, don't do that anymore. Not get off, like my father used to say when we were fighting in the bath seat on vacation. Not get off. That I can hear him now. Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Came into town. Here's this, here's this little weasel of a man up in, the, uh, up in the tree, right? And he's small, so he can't see. And he is ripping everybody in town off of their money, and everybody hates him, Right? And who's Jesus pick? He says, hey, hey, you're buying me lunch today. I'm going to eat at your house. And down he comes. And there is an encounter with Jesus. And Zacchaeus is never the same after that. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? And if you've seen me, says Jesus, you've seen the Father. This is how the Father acts. The everlasting Father. This is how the Father acts responds in situations like that. The prodigal son parable, right? We love it. We love it because it's so scandalous. But Jesus is, Jesus is trying to help people know that this is, this is the Father. This is the heart of the Father as I'm revealing him to, that this, this guy goes off and just 
lives a horrible life and decides he wants to come back. And he can't even get through his apology. And the father embraces him and says, go get the hall ready. We're going to have a party. And like that. You, this is the heart of the God that we come to. And it's good to remember that because all this stuff is, all this stuff here, it's always about God, but secondarily, it's about us because He doesn't do this stuff for anybody else except us. This is for our benefit. Amen? This is for, this, this grace, this mercy, this, what we see uh, just lavished out, this is for us to look at. Peter, let me give you just, just one more. Peter, right? That horrible, horrible moment when he denies the Lord and has a lost weekend to himself there and just is beside himself with grief and shame and guilt. And we learn from the Apostle Paul that Jesus went first to Peter and then to the others. He went for, now, why do you think he did that? And what do you think that encounter was like? And just Peter, just, just beside himself, and, and Jesus just saying, it's okay. It's okay. I knew you were going to do a stupid thing, didn't I tell you? By the way, he knows you're going to do stupid things too. I'm not endorsing it, but I know humans and human nature and you're going to do stupid things. You're going to do regretful things. There'll be things that'll happen, and you'll find yourself going, how could I say that? How, did, how could I do that? And I want you to know, Jesus will come after you too and restore you and help you get back on your feet again. He'll do that because he's an everlasting father, and he's not going to run out on you. He's not going to run out on you. Finally, he's a benevolent father. A benevolent father. Let's look at that first Peter passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is is kept in heaven for you. Anybody need to be reminded of that from time to time? Yes, we do. And maybe I'm announcing it to you for the first time. Maybe you didn't even know this stuff was true. And if you didn't, that's wonderful that you showed up here today. But look at this great, this great stuff. Go ahead, put that back up there. Just, just three things from just that passage there. In His great mercy, He's given us a new birth. You get, and I get, and everybody gets to start over again. Peter understood the gift of salvation as a new birth, as beginning again, as whatever was going on before, now we got a new program going on. Like the, uh, anybody ever get an Etch-a-Sketch at Christmas time? 
And you just mess around with that thing, and then you look at it and you go, ooh. That's what happens when the grace of God comes to you. That's what happens. Now, using the Etch-A-Sketch kind of trivializes it a little bit, but, it, but there's something very, very similar as well. There's no trace. There's no trace. You can start over again. Oh, that's still good news. Still good news. A living hope, he says. And he's referring, of course, to, to Jesus. And it isn't Easter, but can I just say it? He's alive. He got out of that tomb. He remains alive. And so this, the birthday celebration that we are uh, in now in 2021, um, he's, he's alive and probably enjoying it because it's international. Everywhere. You can hardly go to any country where there aren't people that are coming to the birthday party and remembering the significance of it. That a Savior came and was born in Bethlehem. And we'll call him Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. All those things it's wrapped up in the beautiful story and the lights, and all of this, all of this is, I think, an invitation from heaven to people in a very kind of elaborate way once a year to say, why don't you come to the party? Why don't you get involved in the party? Why don't you find out what this really is all about? And what it's all about, folks, is that God so loved us that Jesus came and died for our sins. All the nasty stuff you've said and all the nasty stuff you've done and all your regrets and all your guilt and all your shame and everything that would torment you. And by the way, there's an adversary that will bring that stuff up like reruns every day of your life. There is a God an everlasting Father who wants to do away with all that. And He wants to set you free from all of that nonsense and give you a new life. And He says, come to the party and turn away from that old life and receive grace and receive the good things that I have for you at Christmas time. And Peter calls it an, an inheritance as well. Inheritance. Everybody gets all excited about that, you know. The longer you live, the more you hear about these inheritances. And they don't always go so well uh, on earth. They, um, you know, someone will be sitting around sometime, maybe had a, a drink or two, and say, you know, when I'm gone, this will all be yours. And he says this to, like, one of seven kids. Or all these promises that can be made or whatever, and then you go to the to like the, the hearing and the executor reads the will and you find out, boy, did all that evaporate? We'd already, you know, planned the cruise and and you know, bought the Mercedes and uh, 
the new house in Nashville. So inheritances don't always go so well. I'm, some of you are smiling at me like you know exactly what I'm talking to you about. Nothing, nothing can set families, family members against each other like those ugly moments sometimes. But this inheritance that God leaves us in Jesus is indestructible. We are tied in so tight, folks. It, it's never going to perish. It's never going to spoil. And it's never going to fade. You can take it to the bank, but not the one here. As good as some of those are, we wonder about them sometimes, don't we? But you can count on it in ways that you can't count on anything else. Indeed, as Peter said, and you can put that up, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, hmm? the compassionate Father, the benevolent Father. This is what Jesus' life mirrors, and this is what Jesus brings to the party for you. Every time we come around to Christmas, all of that for you. It's not just the carols and the trees and the, the presents and all the other things that are certainly worthy to be at the party. But often we miss the big picture, don't we? And so I entreat you today with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to the party. Come to him. If you have been away for a while, then come close. Come to Bethlehem and receive the grace and the mercy and the love that you can get no place else. This is the Father you've been looking for all of your life. All of your life even if you had a good one. This is a better one. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll leave you an inheritance that will never spoil, never perish, or never fade. Can we bow our heads just for a minute? Can we do that here this morning? If you need, if you need just to be responsive to, the, to what I've just preached, what I've just told you about here. If you need to respond, maybe you have never crossed the line. Maybe you have been standing on the outside for a while. Then I want to invite you inside here today. And I want to give you the invitation to come to the party. And so if you need that invitation, and you need a moment here just to say yes, I'm going to ask you to do a really simple thing. You're not going to have to move from your seat. And, and our heads are bowed. But if there's anybody just say, yes, I need to do that. I just need to come to the party this year. I need to do that. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? And I'll just agree in prayer with you. I've been away. I felt far away. But I need to come to the party. Anyone at all? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Bethlehem. We thank you for the story. And we thank you for all that it brings and begins to bring of redemptive history into each of our lives. By your spirit, Lord, make it come alive in us again here in 2021. You are the everlasting Father. We are sons and daughters that you are not ashamed of. And we're so grateful for that. So help us by your spirit to celebrate 